Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Nice crowd this morning. My name's Dave Fox. I'm nobody. I like, uh, I've, I've used this before, but uh, I like what, uh, I think it was Mercy Me said, I'm just nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. And uh, that's, that's what we're all here for, isn't it? Amen. Now, I'm an interchangeable, or not interchangeable, what, interacting, I like a lot of response. So if you're too young to say amen, just say yes, or that's right. And if you don't agree, just kind of keep quiet a little bit, okay? <laughs> No, I, I, I kind of privilege to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm grateful to be here, and I, uh, I hope that uh, you understand that uh, I don't just speak for myself, but for many others, that when I walk in on Sunday mornings and I see a hundred munchkins running around just having a blast and young husbands and wives and families, man, that's good. And I'm excited. Amen? Yeah. Sure enough. We're glad that you're here. That's not a formal greeting. That's a heartfelt response. Uh, and if you're a seeker, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, or you're trying to find out what the difference between a Baptist and a believer is, we're here to help you. Because we're not making Baptists out of people. We want to make believers out of people. Amen. So, uh, I have a question for you today. Would you consider the following advice to be applicable today? Wow, what's happened in the last year? I mean, everything's changed. Everything's different. Everything is uh, according to somebody's expert opinion, right? (laughs) Uh, And so advice is hard. Good advice is hard to get. So let me know if this is good advice. While a loving heart maintains a family, a hateful heart destroys a family. Good advice? Okay, there you go. All right. Yeah, that's good advice. How about this one? Never make a big decision while drinking beer. (laughs) Now, I didn't hear an amen on that one. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'll take that. Uh, I'll add an addendum to that, that life is all about all the time making decisions, and so I'll let you make a decision on the other. All right? Uh, But yeah, good advice. Uh, that, uh, uh, that's sound advice for the day and age we live in. But guess what? That advice dates back to nearly 5,000 years ago. It dates back to a tablet that was discovered in the Middle East in Samaria. It was written by a Sumerian king by the name of Shirapik to his son, wow, Zuridzudra. He needed some help, didn't he? But 5,000-year-old uh, advice, but it was still good, wasn't it? It's my discovery in life as I kind of edge toward the the older age. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. Don't anybody laugh. I'll be 69 next December. I can't believe that. Yeah, Irma's down here going, oh, you spring chicken. (laughs) But advice, situations of life, the hardships of life, they're the same today as they were 5,000 years ago. People do stupid things back then. They still do stupid things. And I mean that only in the kindest way because I've done some stupid things. The problems of life, they're the same. Oh, they might wear a different coat, a different color, a different uh, scenario. 
But advice that is good, and in this case godly, is, is, is still applicable. And when we look at the uh, Bible itself, it has something to say for us today. Why should, read, why should we read the Bible, the Scriptures? If we believe them to be the Word of God, why should we read them? Now, by the way, if you don't get that first part, the rest is a moot point. It's either God's Word or it isn't. It's either acceptable or it is not, and you and only you can make that decision. But here's what one man said. He said, we should read the Old Testament, and by the way, there are people in the Christian realm today who, who do not think that the Old Testament is applicable, and I strongly disagree, and so do a great many others. This writer says, we should read the Old Testament because the Bible is a story of God's interaction with the world, both Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament records the beginning of that story. God reveals His, not, his uh, uh, own nature and His purpose through the Word of God. To ignore the Old Testament is like making a new friend and never asking about his past. God is the same in the Old Testament as He is in the New. Studying in the Old Testament allows us to know Him better and more fully understand our place in His plan. That's why we're going through Exodus. Uh, now, some of you, uh, how many of you are doing the reading plan, uh, reading the Bible through this year? Okay, I got one. Shame on, well, not shame. Okay, here's some more over here. <laughs> if you haven't started it, pick it up. Go onto the website, get the, the reading plan. Don't worry about going back to Genesis. You know, the good news is you won't have to read Leviticus and Chronicles until the end of the year. Uh, and for those, well, if you haven't read it, you didn't get that joke. <laughs> the Chronicles of Job begat Billy, and Billy begat six sons who begat 12 sons who had this sons and had this wife. And there's a whole lot of begatting going on, and you wonder, what has this got to do with me? But as you read that, you come across a little gem, a little jewel, and that gem or jewel speaks to you and to your heart and to where you're at today. The New Testament is just a snapshot of about 60 years of history plus some prophecy concerning the end times. The Old Testament shows the character of God interacting His people over four millennia, about 4,000 years. He's giving, He's jealous, He's forgiving, He's loving, and He's holy. The Old Testament shows His patience, His plan, and definitely His personality. It presents a stunning 4,000-year illustration of the unfaithfulness of man and our desperate need for a Savior. The Israelites were not merely an ancient people who lived far away. They were humans, yet chosen by God, prone to stray, just like us. In them we see our need for Jesus Christ. In the God of the Old Testament, we see the need and we see the holy, loving Christ who came in the New Testament to restore him to himself. We need the Word of God. Now, Peter asked a question, Pastor Peter, a couple of weeks ago when we first started this series. He said, when he reads some of the Old Testament, he asked, what has this got to do with me? What's in this for me? That's a one situation where it's okay to ask that question. As you invest time and effort in reading the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, what's in this for me? And I think you're going to find this morning, when we look at what we're going to share with you, that there's something there for us. Now, the Ten Commandments, the bad news is that's a ten-point sermon, right? Got to cover it all. But the good news is Jesus whittled it down to two, okay? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're done, right? We can go home. Shut it off. No, there's something else I want to show us today. The Ten Commandments, I believe, and many others believe, reveal a picture. They give us a picture of who God really is. 
And that's what I'm going to share with you today. So let's pray and let's uh, get into the scriptures. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, and uh, it'll be on the board uh, if you'd like to turn and read in your tablet or Bible. And to our folks at home, welcome. Uh, we're wishing you were here, but uh, we're glad you're here with us in spirit, and we look forward to the day when you'll be with us again in body and spirit. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the love of Christ and the light of Christ, the light of the scriptures. Thank you for what it shows us and how it reveals who you are and what you can be in our lives. It's my prayer today as we look at these verses that uh, not my words, but the word of Scripture, the word from your very lips will speak to us and give us comfort and joy that we can go out and share it with the community we live in. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at Exodus 20, all right? Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Before I go any further, that's foundational to the rest of the Scripture. A little hint when you're studying the Bible. By the way, a little advertisement here. We're going to be uh, offering another class on how to read your Bible uh, coming up in the next few months. I'd encourage as many as possible to take it. But one of the things that you need to do when you look at passages of Scripture Look for those phrases, look for those words that via the Holy Spirit jump out and catch your attention. And in this passage, that is foundational. God spoke these words. Now, before the rest of it can have any meaning, you've got to settle in your heart. Is there a God? Is He the one that I look to? We'll have a little more to say about that in a moment. But for the Israelites, He said, hey, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Think back, folks. I'm the one that drew Pharaoh's army uh, into the Red Sea and then drowned them. By the way, another advertisement, apologetics. Biblical archaeology records that the Egyptian hieroglyphics, which always showed the conquests of the great battles and the great armies of Pharaoh, guess what? The year after the Israelites, who can be established historically, after they left Egypt, there were no hieroglyphics about military conquest. Anybody got an idea why? They were drowned. They were sitting in the bottom of the Red Sea. Just chasing a rabbit there. So I'm the Lord. I've proven myself to you. Let's look at the commandments. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 3. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath it, or in the waters below. Boy, that pretty well covers it. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents through the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, don't take that verse out of context, because if you read that and don't think or look anywhere else, you'll think God's killing innocent children. That's not it at all. The choices we make can have a lasting result, especially the bad choices. But look at the very next verse. But those who show love those who to showing love, a thousand generations of those who love me keep my commandments. Folks, you may have never had a saved aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, in-law, or outlaw. But if you make the choice to give your life to Christ, you can be influential for the generations to come. And it's a wonderful thought and a wonderful thing to be able to do. I hope we're all making that choice. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither shall uh, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing with you. Now, for those of us that still have our youngsters living at home, that was one day a week, not seven, okay? The resting part, I mean. Okay, that went right over your head. <sighs> Can we edit that out, Kyle? I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land and your Lord your God has given you, that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not uh, commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give any false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Ten Commandments. What has that got to do with me? What's in it for me? And by that I mean, what is it saying to me? What is it, how is it giving me instruction? I've already made the supposition that the Ten Commandments reveal the very nature of God. And in doing so, we, we land square in the middle of the ABCs of salvation. The A being accepting the fact that I am a sinner. They show the nature of a loving, pure and, and, and righteous God, and I'm not that way. Now, we'll have more to say that in, in just a moment, but here's the deal. Nobody in the flesh can keep all Ten Commandments, because if you violate one, the Scripture says in the New Testament, you violated them all. You say, well, no, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I actually had a, one of my best friends before he became a Christian. That was his response. I'm not a bad person. And I said, Steve, you ever told a lie? Well, sure, everybody has, but God hasn't, and God doesn't want you to. So by telling a lie, you've disobeyed God, and guess what? You've blown all the first three because you haven't put God first. You haven't uh, allowed yourself to worship Him, but you're worshiping what was best for you and what was in it for you. So understand that there's a purpose in the revelation of these Ten Commandments for us, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. The Ten Commandments, how do we see God in them? Let's take a look. Commandment 1, verse 1. You shall have no other gods before me. This commandment shows us that God is greater than all the ideas and notions of who he is in our world. If you were to Google who is God, Lord have mercy, what you would get. God is a spirit. God is an ideology. God is a lie. God is just a good feeling. You'll get everything. But Jehovah was telling the children of Israel, I am the God. I am the creator. I'm above all other gods. For those of you who are going through the reading in the Old Testament, you know there was a cyclical pattern in the children of Israel. What would happen? God, man, God got them out of the Red Sea, right? They crossed on dry land. Pharaoh's army drowned. And they got out there and they camped out. And Moses said, I'll be right back. I got to go to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And he came back, and what did they have done? They thought Moses was dead. They were worshiping Moses. Well, our, our worship of the, or the, uh, the subject of our worship, he's dead. So they made a golden calf and began to bow down and worship it, a piece of gold. And we'll talk about that aspect of it. But God says, I'm greater than any idea or notion of who you think God is. I'm glad for that. That tells me God's greater than me. 
He's bigger than me. I want to do right, and I want to, uh, uh, I don't want to disappoint anybody, even to the extent I don't want to disappoint God. He's greater than me, and, and, and I cannot make it on my own. I need the God. I like what happened when Elijah brought all the worshipers of the, the false god Baal. They had really divided Israel. And so he said, listen, guys, and there was, I think there was 300 or 600, I forget which. But he said, you all bring your stuff to worship tomorrow morning. You bring the wood, and you bring your animals to sacrifice, and I'll bring mine, and we'll see who God really is. Is he the Baal that you worship, or is he Jehovah, the God of, of, of the Jews? And so they came, and the prophets of Baal got there, and they set up their altar, and they put the, calves, uh, the cows on there, and uh, the prophet said, whoever answers by fire, that's God. So they got out and started dancing, nothing happened. They started yelling, nothing happened. They started dancing around, cutting themselves, nothing happened. <laughs> the prophet said, hey, maybe he's asleep. God's not there. He might be sleeping. Maybe you ought to wait a while. Finally, there was no answer. And so the prophet went to the altar of Jehovah, and he did everything to prepare it. And then he poured water all over it, and it filled the trenches around it. And he simply prayed this prayer, Lord, show who you are today. Show who you are. Show that you are the real God. And the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar. Oh, and by the way, it consumed the prophets of Baal too. My point here is simply this. God wants us to understand that there's no one greater than him. And in our lives today, we don't go worship. And, you know, we don't have idols and things here. There are some that do, but basically uh, Christianity does not. And yet in our society, we do put things before God. And we do sometimes have other gods. For some, it's their jobs. For some, it's their homes. For some, it's their relationships or their prestige. We have movie stars that we elevate and lift up and then act shocked when they show their humanity. God says, I am God Almighty. Nobody's greater than me. The second commandment, you'll not make idols. Uh, God is alive. He's not a piece of wood. He's not stone. And we could say very easily here, well, we got that covered here because we're Baptists and we don't have statues in our church and we don't have those. Oh, okay, but what about the things that we do replace him with that are inanimate, that we put before him. He's alive. God does not limit himself to this building, to this speaker, to that teacher or preacher. God is alive, and he wants a daily part of our lives. And in this commandment, he's saying, don't make idols. Why? Don't accept substitutions. You ever hear that on TV, you know? Or Ron Popeil, you know, when he's got his Vegematic, or I just dated myself. But I, I don't know what the latest thing is. The sh was ShamWow, is that the latest one? You know, watch too much TV. But what's the words out of their mouth? You need this. Don't accept an imitation. And Moses saying to the children of Israel, you need Jehovah. Don't take imitations. You know what would happen is they went into the promised land and they started marrying and their children started marrying. And I guess they ran out of people to marry. And so they started marrying the people that inhabited the land. And, you know, like, Susie, I love you. I want you to marry me. Okay, but now I worship Istar. So we got this pole that we got to put up in the tent. Is that okay? No problem, baby. I love you. 
And they'd let them set up their tent, and then they'd let their wives or their husbands worship false gods. And, was, and, and Moses is saying, don't do it. Actually, God is saying, these are the words of God. He's alive. Third commandment, thou shalt not take from the Lord thy God in vain. Oh, I got that one covered. I don't cuss. Right? Taking God's name in vain, right? That's what we think of GD, right? Am I right? Sure. Oh, it's so much more than that. When I name the name of Christ on Sunday and I go out to my place of employment, I call them Sunday go to meet in Christianity, am I showing the true reflection of Jesus Christ or am I taking that name in vain? I'm a Christian. Get out of my way or I'm going to smack you. Now, my brother Larry here can tell. I had a situation out of my job on the base where I ended up having to go and apologize to everybody in the shop and everybody in the office because I took the Lord's name in vain and it wasn't cussing. I went toe-to-toe with a guy and told him I was going to whip him into next Sunday if he didn't get out of my way. I took God's name in vain. I said, I'm a Christian, but I'll smack you into next Sunday. No, no. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I realize that 99% of you are not going to go smack somebody, okay? But when you're out and people know he's a Christian, she's a Christian, and you face that tough situation, God says, I don't want you to take me in vain. Don't name my name in vain, but lift up my name. And that's what he wanted the children of Israel to do. Let me hurry on. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right, we should have been here yesterday, right? What does that show us about God? It shows us not only is God greater than everyone else, every notion or idea about who he should be, not only is he alive, not only is he worthy of our respect, but he loves us enough to want to give us rest. Man, don't we need rest in this world today? Now, I've got a good friend who I think is a believer, but his particular persuasion says it should have been yesterday. That was not the point of what was being said. Now, God had to choose the day, and he chose the day. He said, seventh day, guys, I want you to shut her down. Don't want you to work. Don't want your family to work. I want you to rest and worship me. And that's why we're here today. Some call it the Christian Sabbath. You can call it what you want. But there are times, and, and, and we need a tool to help us and remind us of that, that we need to rest. We need to put the world aside. I'm not thinking a bit about Joe Biden today. Okay, I'm not thinking about Donald Trump either. (laughs) Okay, I've forgotten who the independent guy is. But anyway, I'm thinking about Jesus Christ today. I'm thinking about the fact that, God, you're the Lord of my life, and I want you in my life, and I want you in my family, and I want to rest in you. I'm so glad you saved me. I'm so glad that even in my shortcomings, you're there for me. The first three were all about God. The last six are about how we treat one another. And the first thing we need to do is rest and relax and hold one another up. And that's why we're here this morning, I hope. The next commandment in in verse uh, uh, 12, yes, verse 12, he says, to honor your father and your mother. Now, Grandma, she added to that. Uh, She said, you honor your father and mother or I'm going to whip your... And by the way, she only had to do that once or twice to get that lesson taught. Uh, and uh, it was taught, and it wasn't abused. My grandma loved me. Uh, she had to because I was a 
persnickety little guy. But honor your father and mother. And what he's saying here is, is that he values. We get a picture of what God thinks about the family. And that's what's important. It goes beyond obedience. It goes about the, the family unit itself. The father, the mother, and the children, and how they come together with a perfect plan that God has established. Now, God help the single parent. They need our prayers. They need our support. They need our help. But you can take every major societal woe that we have today and attribute it to the breakdown of God's plan for the family. And I won't get into the politics of everything, but God wants us to be a family, not only in the physical realm with husbands and wives and children, but as a church. You look across this congregation, we have a diversity of people, both ethnically, monetarily, socially, but we're a family. We've got doctors and truck drivers. I could say doctors and garbage men, but I'm retired, so. We've got a diversity of people, but we're family, and God loves that. And that commandment shows me that God values family. It's so important. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Now, King James says, thou shall not kill. Uh, and a lot of people read that and they say, well, wait a minute, though. Well, then God sent them Israelites into towns and had them slaughter men, women, and children. And they say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. It literally means you shall not murder. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, it's hard to understand that, that God could have them do that. Uh, but it was a tribal environment, and we don't have time this morning to get into all the details. But the bottom line is those people died as a result of their rebellion against God. It was judgment brought on them. But the murder, God does not give us the right to take life because of anything. We could talk about abortion, and Lord help any of you who have had to suffer the pain of that and who have made that choice and regret it now. We need to come alongside and love one another and show uh, that God can forgive, but thou shall not murder. God doesn't want us taking life. He wants us giving life in Jesus Christ. Commandment seven, or eight rather, or seven, excuse me, you shall not commit adultery. I could look at that and say, well, I'm, I'm in good shape. I've got that one nailed. My wife and I got married in 1972, and we've been faithful to one another, and we're coming up on 50 years, and I'm righteous. Hmm. Well, I think you're applauding that we've been married 50 years, not that I'm righteous. <laughs> but Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, they made fun of Jimmy Carter for making that statement that he'd committed adultery in his heart. And regardless of his politics, Jimmy Carter was a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was honest enough to admit that he had to, he had to trust the grace of God for this commandment. And men and women in our society today, it's breeding flirtation, it's breeding pornography, it's breeding all manner of things. Sexuality was always meant to be a bond between a committed man and woman in a loving marital relationship, one that would last for life. And sex has been made into a recreational support or sport. And it's sad. There's good people who are falling into that trap. And what this reveals to us is God, God is not restricting. God is saying, do what's right. And what's right is come together in a commitment, come together in honoring. 
uh, I honor your wives, gentlemen, by not being inappropriate, by not placing themselves or placing ourselves in, in compromising situations, because God values the family, and God values commitment and fidelity. Commandment nine, thou shalt not, or excuse me, commandment eight, you shall not steal. And this shows us a picture of God who values the hard work and the personal property of others. Now, this seems like kind of an odd thing, doesn't it? But we serve a God who has created us to be purposeful and to accomplish, to give so that he may give to us. And that's something that's foreign to our society today. Hard work is a gift from God. I love it when I see people who, regardless of the reward, are committed to working hard. God values truth. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. God doesn't lie. And the commandment for us to be the same shows that he values that truth. Now, the Bible says that we're to speak the truth in love, that we're to share with one another. And that means more than, honey, does this make, well, it means coming alongside the family of God and saying, have you thought about this? Because I'm really concerned about it. I want to share with you what, what God showed me. By the way, uh, in a crowd even of this size, there's probably at least 30% of the people who have been divorced and remarried. You know who I want my kids talking to about divorce? I want them talking to you. You who have come through it, who have acknowledged sin if it was yours, or who have given forgiveness if it was not, and who know the value of that relationship. That's who I want. You have value. You have purpose. Some of you have struggled with addictions, and God has given you victory over them. You have something to offer. You have something to give. You have a truth in your heart that God values. So tell the truth. I grew up in a time and place where uh, you know, people bragged the worse their sin was, uh, the more they bragged about how special they were. And I'd, all I did was surf and play baseball. I didn't ever, you know, smoke dope or, you know, never been drunk. And so I didn't think I had anything to offer. You know what I had to offer? The fact that even though I was morally good, I was still a man in need of a Savior. And I knew a lot of people who were the same way who said to me, I'm just as good as so-and-so. I had to tell them the truth. No, you're not. And the reason I know that is because I'm not either. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet. And I like this one, believe it or not. See, if you look at these commandments as restrictions, and we're going to talk about it in closing, if you look at them as restrictions, as God holding us back, you miss some very important things. And this last one is a good example of it. That shall not covet. God gives us just what we need. There's nothing wrong with having a Mercedes, a Cadillac, a, an Audi, or whatever you've got. Nothing in the world wrong with that. But if you have to have that to find value in yourself, you don't need it. If you have to have the right house, the right car, the right job, the right awards, in order for to feel self-worth, you don't need it. God will give you exactly what you need. There was a gentleman who lived in Modesto, him and his wife, uh, and there were millionaires. They were the most godly people. They worked, uh, he had 
somehow got a contract with Hershey's Chocolate, which is right outside of town there, uh, a, a patent or something, and became a millionaire. Every year, their particular church as missionaries would come back to the States, and they took their money and their millions, and they bought them a car, and they gave them a pass to any hotel, and they supported them for that entire year while they were back home raising deputation. God gave them what they needed because he knew that he would give it away. Now, we have a person like that in our crowd, and I'll not embarrass them, but they, uh, they do pretty well. They have some pretty nice things. And I've been over and I've seen those pretty nice things with 30 kids running through them, jumping and climbing, going to the beach, getting back in a nice motor home, sand, surf everywhere, and just having the time of their life. God gave them great gifts and they used those gifts for him. God gives us what we need. Well, let me uh, wrap this up. What's the value of the Ten Commandments today for us? Timothy was told by Paul exactly what the value of them were, was. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says this, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. If one uses it properly. Well, how can it be used properly? Verse 9, We know that the law is, not, is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, for rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, well, wait a minute. I thought if God instructs us how to live with the Ten Commandments, isn't that for me? No, you can't keep it. That's for those who think they got it going on. That's for the, real, the rebels, the one who says, yeah, well, I'm pretty good, but I'm not going to give my life. I'll never admit I'm a sinner. That's what the commandments are for, to let that person know, no, you're not all right. It's for the unholy and the original, or irreligious. For those who say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, you're right. But you'll never hear what you need to do if you don't go. The law is, for, uh, is not for the good. The law is for the unrighteous. And, and he it backs it up with his own example, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying, Paul is saying, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The law paints a picture of a holy, righteous God who gives us everything and expects us to give it to one another and allows us by seeing those laws, those principles, those characteristics to know that we can't do it by ourselves that we can only do it through someone who has prepared us, for someone who has given us what we need to be righteous, and that someone is Jesus Christ. You recall in the beginning, I made the statement, Jesus whittled it down to two. The Sadducees, Pharisees, they got together and said, we're going to trip this guy up. What's the greatest commandment? Because you see, they thought they had it all together. They thought that they were perfect because I keep the law. I do everything right. Jesus said this, the greatest law, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what it's for. It helped Israel. 
And Paul concluded in Colossians, and I'll close with this. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled into thinking it's all about having the right brand, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Mormon. Don't believe it. That's a foolish notion. Don't be willing to accept anything except the truth that's in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was in the Old Testament, and his life was brought to fruition in the New Testament, where he lived a perfect life, where he kept all Ten Commandments, but yet still suffered death, which is the punishment. Physical death is a result of our fallen nature. Jesus died so that we might live. And that's the ABCs that we conclude every service with. A, to acknowledge that I am a sinner. The law has shown me that. The law has shown me a gracious, loving God, and I don't measure up to him. But B, it shows me that Jesus Christ came to be a sacrifice for my sins, to live a life as a human being in perfection, and then to offer himself on my behalf and to see all I have to do is to choose to accept it and to follow it. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this passage, and I pray that we've offered some clarity to it. I pray, Father, that we would understand that, not only understand, but that we would implement a wise usage of the Ten Commandments, the proper usage, and the usage that we see in the Scripture is to acknowledge that you are perfection and we are not, but that you love us so much you sent a perfect Savior. And God, this morning I pray that if there are those here who have not yet asked Christ to forgive them of their sins and to come into their life, that they could do so even now by just simply praying those ABCs. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I know that I don't measure up to what I ought to be and that as I step into eternity, unless that's resolved, I face a terrible punishment, eternity without you. So God, I pray that not only could they acknowledge their need, but could they believe, Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place and that his death was a sacrifice paying my sin, the penalty for my sin. And see, I choose to follow you from now on with all my heart and with all my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.